Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Fresh and Salty podcast. A deep dive into the world of estuaries, those special places where rivers meet the sea or the great lakes of the upper Midwest. This show is brought to you by the National Estuarine Research Reserve Association in partnership with the American Shoreline Podcast Network and Coastal News Today. Hi, my name is Peter Ravella, host of the show. National Estuarine Research Reserves are buckled down for an active hurricane season and not for the first time. Over the past decade, an unprecedented number of supersized storms, record floods, and other disasters have hit reserves and the communities of the Gulf of Mexico, the Caribbean, and up and down the eastern seaboard. And this year, it's happening again, this time with the added complication of a global pandemic. With weeks still left in the 2020 hurricane season, we've seen 25 extreme storms, a record-shattering 10 of which made landfall. We've run out of names. Hurricane Delta was the second to slam southwest Louisiana within six weeks. Disruption is the new normal, and resilience is the holy grail for estuaries, their communities, and for the reserves that work to support them. Helping communities prepare for, undergo, and move forward from these disruptive events has become a core part of the National Estuarine Research Reserve System's work. Today, our focus is on 2017, a monumental hurricane year, when Hurricane Harvey blasted the Mission Aransas Reserve and surrounding Texas communities, and Hurricane Irma pummeled the Rookery Bay Reserve in Florida. The story of resilience does not begin with Harvey and Irma, but started years before and continues on today. Joining me today are two reserve managers that are no strangers to powerful storms. Jace Tunnel is the manager of the Mission Aransas National Estuarine Research Reserve on the Texas Gulf Coast, and Keith Lockinen is the manager of the Rookery Bay Reserve on Florida's Gulf Coast. Our guests today represent two of the five reserves in the Gulf of Mexico, the others being the Grand Bay Reserve in Mississippi, the Weeks Bay Reserve in Alabama, and the Apalachicola Reserve in Florida. And currently there is a proposal to establish an additional reserve in Louisiana in the coming years. We would like to get our audience familiar with the landscape we'll be talking about today. And I wonder, Jace, if you would do the do us the favor of describing the Mission Aransas National Estuarine Research Reserve. Tell us about that place. Sure. Uh, we are the third largest reserve out of the 29 uh, in the country. And uh, we are located right in the middle of Texas coast. And so we have actually seven major bay systems on the Texas coast. We are right in the middle. And so our, our name actually comes from the Mission River and the Aransas River that flow into uh, our boundary area. And so Mission Aransas. And uh, we are manage 186,000 acres. And so we do everything from uh, education, outreach to research and uh, have a training program as well. It sounds like a remarkable place. And from a resource standpoint, Jace, what is the highlight of the territory, the terrain, the natural environment in this reserve? 
Well, I think one of the interesting thing is, and it's like this in a lot of the reserves, is that there's very little development. And so uh, there's a lot of open space. Uh, we have um, lots of seagrass, oysters, uh, emergent marsh. And so you have, you have all these different uh, habitat types merging together in one place. And so it's, it's really unique and it's real productive. Uh, there's a lot of uh, fishing. It's a, you know, Port Aransas is where our headquarters is and that's a little small fishing town uh, in tourism. And so everything kind of revolves around the water. Keith, in the Rookery Bay Research Reserve over on the Florida Gulf Coast, I understand Collier County is the home, but can you introduce our listeners to the reserve that you manage? Yeah, so Rookery Bay Research Reserve is 110,000 acres. And to put that in perspective, um, Collier County, where we're at, is bigger than the state of Delaware. We manage 40% of that shoreline. And that goes all the way from Naples, um, some of the highest concentration of uh, billionaires in the country, all the way down to Everglades National Park. So we are part of Everglades ecosystem. And a lot of the reserve was actually set up to study um, the first and largest of the Everglades restoration projects, the Picayune Strand. So we are really attuned to looking at how this landscape has changed over time and to be here um, and watch and monitor the trajectory of the restoration that's occurring. Mm. Changes over time, one of the great themes of the National Estuarine Research Reserve System, and one of the powerful change uh, factors, can we say, are the hurricanes of the Gulf of Mexico. You are both managers of Gulf Reserves. Uh, you know, in looking through the history, 2017 was a hell of a year when it comes to hurricanes, and uh, Hurricane Harvey... Uh, widely known around the world as a storm that flooded the city of Houston, actually came ashore, I think, very close to your reserve, Jace. Uh, tell us a little bit about 2017 yeah. and Hurricane Harvey. That's right. Uh, yeah, whenever you say Harvey, uh, people's uh, eyes perk up. That's, uh, so in August 25th of 2017, a Category 4, four storm uh, hit the Gulf Coast and Port Aransas, where our headquarters is, was in the eye, the southern eye wall. And uh, within our reserve boundary, Port Aransas is on the southern end. So the, the Category 4 storm actually went right over the reserve, the eye of it. The majority of it was in the eye. And so there were some major um, catastrophic things that had happened, uh, including uh, infrastructure and some of the natural environments, such as seagrasses, and uh, some of our monitoring equipment just wiped out. The storms not only have a tremendous impact on the reserves itself, both, as you said, the environmental resources of the reserve and the facilities that you guys manage, but also the surrounding communities. Uh, Keith, over in the Rookery Bay Reserve, uh, within a month after uh, Hurricane Harvey, came Hurricane Irma, another very powerful storm. Tell us a little bit about the experience of Hurricane Irma in the Rookery Bay Reserve. Well, Hurricane Irma was interesting because it made landfall 57 years to the day of Hurricane Donna. And Hurricane Donna is often the hurricane of which others are measured in Southwest Florida. And when Irma was coming, we knew it was coming for five or six days. And we were in the path and we were it was projected to be a four or five coming in. Uh, it went through the Florida Keys earlier that morning as a four. And by the time it came into Naples, it was only a category three. 
And in most years, you would say, ooh, Category 3 is a big deal, but uh, 2017 was kind of a big deal. So it was amazing to watch this uh, Category 3 hurricane come in right over the reserve, just like Jace, have it come in. Um, the eyewall affect the reserve, affect Collier County, and um, it affected this entire area. So it was it was a big storm, and it definitely left a big mark, um, not only on Naples, but um, all across the state of Florida, because... As it weakened a little bit, thankfully it weakened as it came in, the wind field expanded. And so places that, um, you know, got impacted were all across the state of Florida. But we didn't know this for two weeks after because we had no power, no water. Uh, we had no cell phone signals. So we had no idea what happened in the rest of the state of Florida. Mm. You know, in the first show that we did on Fresh and Salty, we talked a lot about the National Estuarine Research Reserve System and the scientific work that you guys do, and the dedication to public engagement and education. Um, one of the things our listeners may not know is how important the reserve system is as a community asset, something that helps the community understand coastal change and to respond to these changes. And boy, that seems like right up the alley during these hurricane events. Tell us a little bit about the reserve system's role in the preparation and response to a hurricane. Jace, can you tell us what is the reserve thinking about as you see these storms marching across the Gulf of Mexico headed your way? Well, we always look at the category. And so, uh, you know, if it's a tropical storm or it even gets up to you know, category two, we're like, okay, you know, our infrastructure, our monitoring systems can handle that. And it'd be good to see the change. But, you know, once you start getting up into the threes and fours, you start thinking, now that station out there is worth about twenty to $25,000. And we've got, you know, five of those out there. Should, should we go get them or, or leave them out there and see what data we can get? <laughs> and so, you know, because one of the things we want to see uh, over a long period of time is those changes. And so, you know, if you if you pull that out, you might be saving your equipment. But if if uh, you leave it in, you're going to get this invaluable data. So um, most of the time we just leave it in. And that's what we did with Hurricane Harvey. When these storms come across, you know, it's not just the wind. It's not just rising water. But uh, because of the amount of water that's moving, it really shifts a lot of the sediment around. And so you have areas that were open water before that are now big shoals. And, uh, you know, there, it's like a little sandbar out there. Or other areas that were real shallow now are, are deep uh, washouts. And so we, we just saw all kinds of different changes. But, you know, what's neat about the reserve system is that we're set up to look at those changes and then we could report out to the community of uh, what happened. Exactly. And I think one of the things I've been fascinated to learn more about is the system-wide monitoring program. Every good federal program needs a good acronym. This is the SWAMP system. And, and Keith, I wonder if you could talk about how much the communities rely on the scientific data that your reserve team uh, compiles and makes available to the public through this SWAMP system. Yeah, I think that's a really good question. So one of the important things to note is that um, each reserve system has set up their swamp system around a different set of questions. Um, ours was set up around looking at uh, the Picayune Strand Restoration Project. What that's going to help us do is to look at the impacts downstream on the uh, downstream estuaries of freshwater inputs 
as these large areas are backfilled, the canals are backfilled, the roads are removed, and these areas are turned back into natural spaces. We also have at least one station, and some reserves have, all reserves have one station, some reserves have many more that are actually on telemetry. So real time, anywhere in the world, you can look on your phone, you can look on your computer, you can see what the water temperature is, what the depth is, get all these water quality parameters. And fishermen will use these. And so they can see, okay, the salinity right now is, is you know, X in, in Henderson Creek. So that tells me right now, it might be good pompano fishing because it's this time of year. So getting that information um, in public hands is really important. And also all of this data we collect, I think over 20 million data points from Mercury Bay Research Reserve is available to, to researchers. And so you can go onto the CDMO website and download all this information. And the really cool part is when you can get a graduate student or a researcher, take some of this data and turn it into information, turn it into a publishable product that can really help out and help us understand um, how these systems work. And a little bit more on that swamp story with the hurricanes. Um, yeah. When Irma was coming, I'm, I'm a huge weather geek, so I'm really interested in the impacts of these storms. So I, so I reached out to Jace. I said, Jace, how'd your, how'd your stations do? He said, I lost most of them. I said, dang it. I said, all right, guys, we're going we're gonna to roll the dice here. We're going to leave them in. So we left a bunch of ours in. And what we saw was some really remarkable things. We saw the reverse storm surge. As the hurricane came in, it blew the wind out of the bays. And then the storm surge. I think we saw a three-meter change in something like an hour in a couple of these bays. And then we saw the fresh, and then we saw salinity drop way, way out because of all the rainfall coming in. And we saw dissolved oxygen fall. And that's a natural process because the wind comes in and knocks down all these branches, all these trees. And as a result, our fishery sampling followed up a few weeks later, and there were no fish in there because dissolved oxygen was so low. But over time, as dissolved oxygen came back, so did the fish. And our sampling saw this immediately after that we're able to track the return of the fish with the return of the oxygen. And the nice take-home message with this, as Jace can tell you as well, is that if you have these systems which are really conserved, you have all this public land set up to protect it, you know, purchased by the state of Florida and purchased by NOAA over all these years, it leads these systems to be really resilient and to be able to bounce back from impact like from a hurricane. So it is going to bounce back, you know, different Pieces take different times to, uh, to bounce back. Fish come back a little quicker. Trees come back a little bit slower. But, you know, resilience is built in when you protect these large areas. Well, you know what I love about that, Keith, is is and what the reserves do in their role along the American shoreline is to make this direct and immediate connection between the state of the natural environment, the natural resiliency of these systems, and community resilience because it's connected. The coastal communities uh, depend on the health and the resilience of natural systems. And that's what you guys monitor with this statewide, now the system-wide monitoring program. Jace, tell us about what you learned from Hurricane Harvey's impact over in the Mission Aransas Reserve area, this connection between the health of the natural environment, the resilience of the natural environment, and the resilience of the communities in your region. 
Yeah, well, <clears throat> so it's been over three years now since Harvey hit, and we are we still estimate that we have another two to three years of uh, built infrastructure, so human-built infrastructure. We still have two to three more years to build on that. But if you go out and you look at the natural systems, um, you know, they look fine. And actually, with the, and after that first year, uh, you could hardly even tell a storm came in. Uh, because the plant communities, I mean, there's still broken branches and stuff like that on, on big trees. Uh, actually, almost all the branches were broken on every tree. It was pretty wild. Uh, but they still had leaves coming out. And then you could go to the low marsh shrubs or the, the seagrass and, and, you know, it looked fine. And so, you know, we did have some areas uh, where we're right on the beach where we did have some significant loss of sand dunes. So there was areas with like 15 foot tall sand dunes that just got blown out. I mean, they're gone, you know, nothing's there. Uh, And those will likely take uh, decades um, to to be able to get back to where they were. But, you know, nobody was living on that part of the island. Um, And the birds now just flock to those areas where the blowouts were because it actually eroded out into these little pond areas and we go up and down the beach weekly counting these um, piping plovers that you might have heard of before. Yep. And these blowout areas have hundreds of piping plovers. And that's crazy to think about. You know, people fly all the way around the world looking for a piping plover just to check it off their list. And we're seeing hundreds of these. And so, you know, the, the human component of it is really impacted and takes a long time to recover. But as the natural kind of environment changes and heals itself, you know, there, nature finds a way to be able to utilize those areas that take a little longer to, to heal. Wow. So it's, it's a neat uh, observation to see and to be able to monitor. That really is. I mean, we think about hurricanes and we always think about what a disaster and a catastrophe these things are. And that frame of reference really is a description of how it impacts us as human beings. The natural environment in areas that are not occupied by humans are absolutely changed by these events. But as you say, remarkably, it opened up new habitat and new areas for a very endangered bird, the piping plover, unexpectedly. And that's I think that's what's kind of fascinating about having the reserves play this role of long term monitoring and continuity to understand these events. Um, Jace, I'm just curious when you look at. Hurricane Irma and and the impact on 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 your reserve system. What were the kind of notable and dramatic environmental or natural resource impacts, and how did that compare to the human impacts in your communities nearby? Yeah, so um, very similar to Jace, we saw um, lots of immediate impacts. Um, the month after Hurricane Irma, um, I drove to the top of the Goodland Bridge, and it was just brown. And it was just, you know, you look at it and you, your heart really pulls because you're concerned about this whole place. But it has come back. And some of the ways it's come back is that we have just like just like over in um, Mission Aransas, just like around the Gulf of Mexico, a lot of these shorebirds and beach nesting birds really depend on hurricanes to help open up some of these areas so that they can forage and so they can nest and so they can winter. So they don't have to worry about predators as much. The other thing is that um, sometimes as these change happens to these systems, 
you know, the only thing constant on the coast is change. And so these systems have evolved over time to be able to take advantage of these disasters as they come through. So you'll open up new fishing spots for the fishermen are always happy because there'll be a new down tree or something where they can throw out for some snook. Um, there's always new things to look at. Uh, the coast around Cape Romano is, is constantly changing. Uh, Second Chance, which is a um, sandbar just south of Cape Romano, is always moving around. So there have been these impacts, but I, I think they haven't been, you know, as bad as they could have been because we do have this uh, core of protected lands. And it's really important for people in these areas because we have so many of those eco-tour guides who are really, you know, making a really good living on these protected areas and fishing guides and all these other folks and even real estate agents who are able to stand there and say that, hey, these areas didn't flood and these areas didn't get storm surge because of those mangroves there, those those green mangroves that are sort of maybe in your view. So I think people after Irma realized the value of natural infrastructure, of green infrastructure, as we call it, even more now than ever before. That is fantastic. And it's it's one of the things I love about the reserve system is there are a whole bunch of scientists and researchers and folks that are incredibly well equipped in the technical world of biology, natural resources, natural systems. And yet, Jace, at the same time, your organization and your staff is involved deeply in the community and involved in the recovery process. Can you talk a little bit about how the reserve fits into the human world post-hurricane and what you were asked to do and what your organization was able to contribute? Yeah, so um, right after the storm, you know, we're, we live in the community that we're doing, you know, where the reserve is. And so we're part of that community. So uh, we were um, devastated, uh, not only at our facilities, but our homes. And so uh, we've got all of our friends and uh, a lot of our family living within these areas, too. So what we did within the first two weeks was we just went home to home um, uh, and went into people's homes and asked them, you know, what do you need done? And so we were ripping out drywall uh, ceilings, taking furniture out to the, the roads, um, you know, just trying to be uh, as supportive as we could and knowing what had just happened. And, you know, at the same time, we were able to, after two weeks, we were able to get our uh, research vessels back into the water and start going back out and, you know, assessing the damages. So going and, and seeing what happened to our swamp stations or our surface elevation tables. Um, you know, whenever things like this happen, also uh, there's funding that comes available uh, for rapid assessments. And so we had partners that weren't impacted as heavily as we were uh, just to the south of us and even to the north of us. And they were able to get some of those rapid assessment dollars to come in and look at some of the habitat changes, look at some of the uh, biology that was going on um, within where the, the hurricane came through. And so uh, we were able to work with our partners uh, as well as the community right after the storm to try to uh, get back to the new normal, whatever the new normal is. There's, there's really nothing nothing like it uh, this is a, if, if you could ever describe a full service uh, uh, organization the estuarine research reserves are it everything from the science and the monitoring and in the water to tearing out the drywall replacing and helping rebuild the community and then engaging in partnerships to 
to bring the community back up after these storms. It is kind of an amazing mix of skills that you bring together. Um, Keith, over in your part of the world, in the post-Irma uh, time frame, what was the role that the reserve played and how did you uh, manage your partnerships with your local communities? Yeah, so it's really interesting. Um, what Jay said that they did, we did the same exact thing with our staff. We were knocking on our, our staff's doors and we were um, we were cutting down trees. We were, we were helping um, our fellow team members wherever they needed help. And we were lucky we didn't get all the surge and the flooding that unfortunately they had over there with Harvey. So it was a lot of tree damage. Um, the damage wasn't nearly as bad, but one thing that came out of it is that um, of course, after after Harvey and Irma was Maria, and Maria hit uh, Puerto Rico head on as a high end Category Four, and that impacted Hobos Bay National Estuarine Research Reserve, which also has extensive mangrove forest and some similarities to Rookery Bay. And so, what we looked at is that you know we had these two reserves that were both impacted heavily by hurricanes. So this is a tremendous research opportunity that you know. Un- we're probably not going to see in our lifetimes again. So we got together with an all-star team with a Florida International University, Duke University, USF, and Hobos Bay to look at the impacts not only on these natural systems, but these human communities. And we were actually able to get funding from the National Science Collaborative, uh, which is funded uh, through the research reserves, to go in and look at these communities, to give information back to the communities of what recovery looks like, what resilience looks like, and to have those communities come in and advise us, be part of these um, advisory groups so we can get this information back out to them. Because it is our, really our jobs to be able to get this information you know, out to the communities so they can better understand how important these research reserves are and how people and their natural environment are very connected, especially with an event such as a hurricane. Well, it is one of the great things I love about the reserve system is the fact that you all know each other. There are 28 of these reserves around the America. I think it's 28 around the American. 29. 29. And Jace, you and Keith know each other as reserve managers. You're mentioning the reserves in the Caribbean. So all of you are having to contend with this dynamic changing environment and a good chunk of you reserve managers have to contend with catastrophic storms like hurricanes and i love the fact that you're able to draw the the lessons from these experiences across the network of the reserve system Um, it seems to me unavoidable because you're embedded in the community because you're looking at the changes long term you can tell what works and what doesn't and how the environment responds and i just think it's got to be enlightening for the communities to learn how important nature-based infrastructure or green infrastructure really turns out to be. What do you think, uh, Jace? Is that kind of something that comes across? Absolutely. Um, You know, a lot of these uh, communities, I mean, they're just right up next to the bay, and uh, they experience uh, flooding on some of the roadways uh, during really extreme high tides. And you know, that might only happen three to four times a year. But then you have a storm that comes through that's a hurricane storm with, uh, you know, three to nine foot storm surge. And you really, it just erodes out the, the road and you really start figuring out where the low line bad areas are. And, and you want to try to fix those areas. And it could be seawalls, it could be roads or whatever. 
but we try to uh, work with uh, the municipalities, counties, and all that within our area to say, look, you know, there, there might be a different solution, uh, nature-based solution. And so we've seen um, some of those projects being done in our area, especially after uh, Hurricane Harvey. There were some before Hurricane Harvey, and they actually did really good. So, you know, putting oyster uh, bags down, uh, oyster making oyster reefs around this place called Little Bay, uh, and it was it served multiple purposes. So not only did it create new oyster reef uh, for habitat and oysters and fishing and things like that, but it also protected a low-lying road area. Mm. And that worked out really well after Harvey. And so after Harvey came, um, you know, there was an entire plan of different projects that could be done uh, using nature-based. And so uh, the county here locally uh, was able to put in for funding and was able to get a lot of funding for doing those specific types of projects because they saw how uh, valuable those were. Wow. And so those are just some um, great examples of nature-based. Well, it's, it's just amazing the full-service nature of what you guys do. Uh, cooperative, this is not a regulatory program, engage with the community. Uh, Keith, I like what you said, that these habitat areas that you guys work to maintain and restore – help drive the local ecotourism industry and jobs in the community. It's really incredible what the role, the broad role of the National Estuarine Research Reserve System plays along the American shoreline. Uh, Keith, as, uh, final thoughts. What As we're, we're sitting here in October, uh, the hurricane season is not over. There's a major storm moving into the Gulf of Mexico as we speak. Uh, thankfully, it does not look like it's aimed at either of your reserves. But when you're thinking about this season and the seasons to come, what is a what what can you help our audience understand about the critical role that you and your fellow reserve managers play? I think just trying to interact with um, not only the public, but um, our coastal decision makers. Um, one thing interesting that is unique about the research reserves is we have something called a coastal training program. And what this is set up to do is to really work with um, our coastal decision makers. And the coastal decision maker is not only a planner with the county, but it's maybe an engineer works with a water management district. It's a real estate agent because they're out there making decisions every day. It's elected officials. Um, it may be other land managers. And so what we try to do is we try to bring all these folks together to share trainings and to share practice, best practices um, for resilience that are going to actually help these communities at the end of the day. You know, our job is not just about, you know, these natural places. It is like Jay said, it's about us living and being in our natural communities. So this coastal training program has that really unique role where we're able to bring so many people together to get them to share ideas, to bring in specialized trainings about disasters, about flooding, about all these kind of events so we can better inform these people so that when they make decisions, you know, they are informed decisions. They're not just out there, you know, buying a piece of property because it, you know, may look good, but they're out there understanding that, hey, if you're, if you're on the coast, that you have certain responsibilities to protect those mangroves, but there's also some risk associated with it wow. and how you can reduce those risks. We're also able to work with um, some researchers to look at, uh, you know, sea level rise and how that can impact our communities over time. And again, the reserves are just this boundary organization where we can bring people people together to have these, 
very important discussions so that people can really understand, you know, what they can do in their community and what they can do to help nature to help protect their community over time. Man, it's a cool job. That's what I want to tell both of you guys. I love what you guys get to do for a living. Jace, your final thoughts on the role of the reserve system in this increasingly dynamic coastal environment you occupy? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, we, we always try to be a resource uh, for the community. And, and so, you know, not only the public coming into our educational facilities and talking to them about, you know, what we're doing, but also um, to the resource managers. So, you know, we have a number of different state agencies that are responsible for making decisions about um, fisheries and, you know, how many can you catch? How big can they be? Um, about development, you know, how close can we build to the shoreline? Uh, where can we put our docks and pier in? So we want them to be able to feel like, you know, they can come to us. We have the researchers to be able to figure out the answers. And, you know, as, as, as what we tell them is like, you know, uh, what do you need to know to do your job? And that'll be one of our major goals is to figure out the answer. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it is Jace Tunnel, the manager of the Mission Aransas National Estuarine Research Reserve on the Texas Gulf Coast, and his compatriot, Keith Lockinen, manager of the Rookery Bay Research Reserve in the Florida Gulf Coast, two of the professionals who make this organization of the National Estuarine Research Reserve System operate. It's been a real pleasure, guys, and for our listeners out there, Keith, if they want to know more about Rookery Bay, how do they find out? Where do they go? What can you direct them to? You can go to our website, rookerybay.org. You can also look at the Florida Department of Environmental Protection's website, where we talk about the two other research reserves in the state of Florida. And those would be good places to look at. Thank you very much. And Jace, how do they learn more about Mission Aransas? They can go to missionaransas.org. And we've got uh, plenty of information about what we do, where we're located, and how people can get involved. We are also looking forward to future episodes of the Fresh and Salty podcast. And listeners, you can follow along with this series by subscribing to the American Shoreline Podcast Network on Spotify, Apple Pods, and Google Play, or wherever else you get your podcast. And check out the National Estuarine Research Reserve Association at nera.org. That's N-E-R-R-A dot O-R-G. See you next time on the next episode of the Fresh and Salty Podcast. <laughs>